which we've called White Space Christmas. Uh, white space may not be a term that you're familiar with, but it's a term that's often used in art and in design uh, to refer to those parts of the page that are left unmarked. Uh, if you're undertaking uh, a printing process, you often print on white paper. Uh, so if there's an area of the page which doesn't have any words or any graphics printed on it, then it is white space. Now, white space is not merely blank space. White space is actually a very important element in design because it allows you to highlight and focus on what is important and not get distracted by other things, but to focus on the thing that the designer wants you to see. Now, to show you how powerful white space is, I want to give you an example. When I was at university, uh, if you wanted to search for something on the internet, uh, you would go uh, to this search engine, Yahoo. Okay, here is a screenshot of uh, Yahoo's homepage. I took this this week, uh, and it sums it up pretty well. Uh, you can uh, search. Uh, you can see the search box up the top there. There's a search box where you can type things in if you're looking to find something on the internet. Uh, but there's other things on that page as well, aren't there? Um, there's some uh, ads, quite a few ads that are there. Uh, and there's a whole list of categories down the side. You may or may not be able to see it. There's uh, mail, news, TV, finance, sport, uh, and various other things as well that you can click on. Uh, and that sums up Yahoo's approach, Yahoo's strategy pretty well because Yahoo wanted to be kind of the page that you went to and you could get everything. They wanted people to just go to their page and be able to find uh, whatever they needed and not have to go anywhere else. Now, not many people use Yahoo to search these days. Instead, they use this. Do you notice the difference? The founders of Google were very, very clear about what they were on about. We are a search engine. Google is about search. We want to be the best search engine that there is. That is our focus. That is our priority. That is what we're on about. And it comes through pretty clearly, doesn't it? Why? Because of all the white space. You know that they're on about search because everything else is cleared away and that search box is not hard to find. There it is, front and centre, large in the middle. Now, focus like this comes at a cost um, because you've got to say no to other things, don't you, in order to say yes to the one thing that you want to focus on. Now, in the early days of Google, people said to them, this will never work. There's no business model here. This cannot work financially. You'll never survive as a company because there's no way for you to make money. You need to put ads on that page so that you can survive and that you can be in business. And the founders of Google vehemently, vehemently resisted doing that. Uh, there are ads in Google, but where are they? They're on the results page after you've searched, tied to the search that you've undertaken. But they refused to do it. They wanted white space, they wanted clean, they wanted focus, so that you knew they were on about search. 
That is our focus. That is our priority. That is what we're on about. So here's the point for us as we prepare to celebrate Christmas. If I can rip off uh, Google for a minute, here is what we're on about. Uh, Or perhaps uh, better, we could say the following. Got the next one there, Chris. Thank you. Christmas is all about Jesus. Christmas is all about Jesus. That is our focus. That is our priority. That is what we're on about. But I suspect uh, that our Christmas celebrations are more like Yahoo than Google. Yes, Jesus is there, like the search box is there tucked away in the top corner, but he's amidst a crowd of other busyness, other priorities, and his importance is downgraded as a result. So the challenge is, and this is what the series is on about, how do we create white space so that we can give focus to what is really important? And today, as we start this exploration, we're focusing on our need to worship fully. I guess the focus today is, What is the central thing that we want to be the focus? There's something that we say is important. Uh, What is it? And we're focusing today on the need to worship fully. So I'd encourage you to have a look at Matthew 2 with me. You can have a look uh, in the Bibles uh, in your pews in front of you, the reading that Maureen uh, brought to us uh, as we look through this passage together. Because the word worship comes up three times in those 11 verses. Uh, There's a high proportion and a high focus on worship uh, in the passage. Uh, The first mention of worship comes at the end of verse 2. Let me read from the beginning though. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Uh, Magi, or we sometimes refer to them as wise men, were a kind of a priestly caste of learned men. They were into astrology, studying the stars and trying to interpret what that meant. Uh, we think of astrology today as a whole lot of hocus-pocus, but these guys were really the scientists of their day, experts in understanding the movements in the heavens, uh, but also interpreting what they saw. Uh, so that they could uh, equate what was going on up there with important events on earth. We don't know exactly where they came from. Uh, The passage here says that they are from the east, uh, perhaps uh, Babylon, modern-day Iraq, or Persia, modern-day Iran. Uh, The term magi, uh, you find that term in ancient documents around the time in both of those cultures. Personally, my bet is on Babylon, and my thinking is like this. Uh, You know that uh, the biblical book Daniel, uh, Daniel was uh, in exile uh, in Babylon, uh, and he was numbered amongst the wise men or the magi within Babylon. Indeed, we read in the book of Daniel that he grew to be their leader. Uh, And the reason I lean towards Babylon is I wonder whether part of what brought these magi uh, to follow the star looking for a king, coming to Jerusalem, is that they knew something of the prophecies of a great king who would come to rule through Daniel, what he said, 
and even the written prophecies from the second half of the book of Daniel that we have in our Bible. Uh, That's all speculation, uh, but it's possible. Uh, What is quite clear in the Bible passage is their purpose, their purpose in travelling to Israel. They've seen a sign in the heavens, some some star or something that they see, and they recognise that a great king has been born, and so they go to worship him. Now that word worship, the English word worship, literally means worth-ship, worth-ship. So worship is about recognising the worth of something and so giving it the honour, the respect, the response that is due to it or to the person because of their worth. So these magi in going to worship recognise that Jesus is worth something. How much? Well, a fair bit, because look at the way that they respond. Uh, let's suppose that they are from Babylon, which is the closer of the two options that I've given you. They would have travelled around 1,100 kilometres to get to Jerusalem. Uh, I plugged that into Google Maps this week. Um, I couldn't find, I couldn't find a, a camel button to click on to get a really accurate time, uh, so I clicked on the walking button. Uh, and Google Maps says 235 hours of walking Uh, to get from where uh, Babylon uh, was uh, to Jerusalem. The point is it's a long way. It would have taken them around a month probably to uh, make that trek. But they travel that distance. Why? Because they think that Jesus is worth it. They give up a month of other things that they would have been doing, other activities, other events. They put the rest of their lives on hold because they think that Jesus is worth it and they go to worship him. Then if you jump down in the passage to see what they do when they arrive, verse 10, when the star stops over the place where Jesus is born, they are overjoyed. There's an emotional reaction there, a heartfelt response, because they've found the one that they're looking for, and there is joy in their hearts as they find him. And then in verse 11, we're told they bow down, and they worship him. There's another reference to worship. So their whole bodily posture reflects their attitude to Jesus. As they get down on the ground, they bow down to him. These are learned people. These are scholars. These are high, um, high-born people in their culture. And there they are, laying on the ground before a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Why? Because they recognise his worth that he is worth it, and so they worship him. And finally, they give expensive gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh, because their worship extends to what they do with their material goods. These are very costly gifts, very expensive gifts, but they give them to Jesus because they recognise his worth and they want to reflect his worth by what they give him. That is part of their worship of Jesus. Now, I don't think the Magi fully understand who Jesus is. They recognise that he's a king of some sort, he's a royal figure in some way, but I don't think they fully comprehend how worthy their worship is. They are not merely honouring a king, they are actually worshipping the very Son of God, God in human flesh, God come to be with us. And yet, even in their uh, ignorance of Jesus' full worth, They do show us, don't they, something of what it means 
to fully worship Jesus. Sometimes we can have a very narrow view of worship. We can think that worship is something that we do when we go to church. Um, I'm heading off to worship this morning. Uh, We can even be more narrow than that. We can narrow worship down to just that part of our service where we sing. Uh, Let's stand and worship God now as if that's, that's all of our worship. But biblically, worship is about all of our life. Worship is about showing God's worth through every aspect of who we are, how we use our time, how we use our money, what we do with our bodies, our words, our thoughts, how we work, how we parent, grandparent, how we act as neighbours. Romans 12.1 sums it up pretty well. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship is about offering everything to God, our whole selves, in his service. Why? Because he's worth it. And we want to reflect his worth by the way that we live and the way that we respond. So we reflect it in every aspect of our lives. Uh, my good friend uh, Wei Han Kwan, who is uh, the head of CMS Victoria, one of our uh, mission partners, uh, says this, show me your credit card statement and show me your diary and I will tell you what you worship. Because how we use our money and how we spend our time reflected in those two documents are pretty good indicators of what we assign worth to. And the challenge this Advent is for us to worship fully, to place Jesus at, his, at the centre where he is you know, right to be and to use all that we have, including our time, including our money, to give him the honour that is due to him. We need to worship fully because he is worth it just like the Magi recognised his worth and so worshipped him. But there's a problem, isn't there? And the problem is there is competition. There's competition for our time. We're incredibly busy. There's competition for our money. We live in a very materialistic society and there are so many things that we need. So when I say we need to worship fully, our immediate response perhaps is a stressed one because we say... How are we going to fit that in? Where are we going to squeeze that around all of the things that we need to do? The answer is, we can't. We can't just pack it in, squeeze it in, make it fit. It doesn't work. Now, the fact that this is complicated, the fact that this is challenging, the fact that there is competition shouldn't surprise us because the worship of Jesus has never, ever happened in a neutral context. Remember I told you that the word worship appears three times in this passage, but I've only shown you two of them, uh, verse 2 and verse 11, both of which refer to the Magi worshipping Jesus. But there's another one. It comes in verse 8. The Magi speak with King Herod and they tell him about what they're on about, their mission to find this king, and Herod says to them, as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Herod claims that he wants to join in on this worship. But we know that's a barefaced lie, don't we? Herod's power 
is threatened by a competing king. Um, Herod has the title King of the Jews and here come these magi claiming they've come to worship a baby born King of the Jews. Christmas threatens the status quo. Herod doesn't want to accept any rival to his position. If Jesus becomes the focus, then Herod is no longer the focus. The whole passage is set up as a rivalry between two competing powers, King Jesus versus King Herod. Christmas disrupts the power structures that are in play. It turns them upside down. The birth of this child uh, is a powerful challenge to the powers that exist within the culture. And so in order to try and retain his power, to try and maintain the status quo, to try and do things the way they have always been done around here, Herod pretends that he will go along with the worship of Jesus. But in reality, he is merely trying to hijack Christmas for his own ends. Actually, what he wants to do is to kill Jesus and get rid of him, not to worship him at all. The worship of Jesus never happens in a neutral context. The Magi, in saying yes to Jesus, have to say no to King Herod. And later they have to make a choice not to go back and report to King Herod because Jesus is worth it and they don't want to be him, see him in danger. This sort of challenge and competition continues through the life of the church. After Jesus had died on the cross and risen from the dead, his followers take to the streets and they announce this good news Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's the good news that we want you to hear, that Jesus is Lord, which sounds lovely, doesn't it? Except for the fact that under the ruling Roman Empire, the statement of the day was, Caesar is Lord. So the early Christians, as they take to the streets announcing the lordship of Jesus, are saying, guess what? Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's not surprising that early Christians were persecuted and killed. Worship of Jesus never happens in a neutral context. So if our aim is to worship fully, we might expect, we should expect it to be difficult and for there to be some opposition to us doing it. Uh, We don't have a King Herod or a Caesar Augustus knocking down our door trying to stop us worshipping Jesus, but we don't worship Jesus in a vacuum. And there are cultural powers that will resist the full worship of Jesus. And at Christmas time, these cultural powers are pretty obvious. They are consumerism and busyness. Uh, Australians spend inordinate amounts of money at Christmas time because that's what's expected. Uh, we get incredibly busy and stressed doing things in order to celebrate Christmas, and doing that will challenge and undermine our worship of Jesus at Christmas. We can't simply just accept all of the cultural norms, the entirety of the status quo and fully worship Jesus because we're just trying to fit him in to the culture and what we're already doing rather than giving him the focus and giving him his due worth. Uh, This next image uh, which is kind of used to sum up the series that we're looking at really in many ways captures it well. There's a cultural narrative in which we live around Christmas, summed up by uh, the character on the left. Um, Busyness, spending lots of money, is what Christmas is about. It's just become the way that we do things around here. 
Uh, and yet, we want to reframe Christmas, refocus Christmas to be more like the Magi on the right who have come to worship Jesus and focus on him. And you can't just cram the two together because it becomes too busy. We need to create white space. Um, the next slide again. You've got to cut away other things in order to have the thing that you're on about focused on and clear. You've got to say no to some things in order to say yes to other things. Uh, we need to say no to some things in order to say yes to the worship of Jesus. We need to challenge uh, some of the sentences that start with, we have to do dot, 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 and say, no, we have to worship Jesus. That's what we have to do. And we negotiate some of the other things. Now, I'm not pretending for one minute that this is easy. And already some of you have probably dismissed in your heads what I'm saying and said, well, look, that's, it's impossible. It's just, it's a lovely idea, Tim. You know, nice to talk about it, but I can't see how it's possible. We can't do it. Uh, and this is part of an ongoing conversation that we're having as a church uh, where we've, we've talked a little bit about this idea of a pattern of life or a rule of life. That is, trying to build structures into our lives uh, to centre what we do on Jesus and to set some limits on other things, to say no to other things so that we can live a life of discipleship and give Jesus his rightful place. Uh, and we're going to focus more on this next year. This is something that we recognise as a challenge. We recognise it's difficult. You can't just snap your fingers and make it happen, but you actually need to plan and to build this into life. So, yes, your immediate reaction, my immediate reaction is it's impossible, we can't do it because we are so embedded in our culture and the way that things are done. It's going to take time. It is going to be difficult. Uh, the worship of Jesus never happens in a neutral context. But I do want to challenge you to try and do this to some measure, to clear some space this Christmas, to create a little bit more white space so that Jesus does stand out and gets the focus that he deserves to resist some aspects of the dominant cultural narrative to increase our worship of Jesus. Uh, in the coming weeks through the rest of this series, we're going to talk a little bit more about the consumer side of things and challenging some of those things that we do accept around how we use our money at Christmas time. Um, but today, I just want to give you two practical ways that you might think about to choose to structure, uh, frame, uh, focus on Jesus uh, this Advent. Uh, the first practical way I want to suggest is a, is a daily discipline. So in the foyer, um, you might have seen it on your way in or have a look on your way out, we've made a church Advent calendar. It's an Advent calendar that starts today and it'll take us through to Christmas Eve. Uh, and each day we're metaphorically going to open a window on the Advent calendar. And on each day there's a short Bible verse, very short, um, and a, a, a Bible verse to reflect on, just to get our thinking uh, square on Jesus and what Christmas is on about, and a simple activity that you might uh, like to do. Um, one example is, you know, write a letter of thanks to God for his blessings to you over the past year. 
These are just ways to stop. These are ways to pause, to focus on Jesus. Um, so I'd encourage families to do this together. You might want to make your own. You can download it off the uh, church uh, webpage. Uh, it's there as a resource so you can print it out and hang your own one up. Um, but it's something that we as a church family can do together. Uh, it doesn't take long each day, but it just puts Jesus in place as a daily discipline, a daily part of our life uh, each day. Um, so you can download it on the webpage. Um, but if you're on Facebook, uh, get onto the St John's Morning Service Facebook page and like it, and each day... Um, the daily reading and the daily activity will be posted there each day uh, from now on as we go through so that you can do it that way. It's just a daily rhythm through this season to remember that this is all about Jesus. It's all about the worship of Jesus. How can we frame our lives to focus on him? The second uh, thing that you might consider doing is coming along to this prayer day that we're having on the 3rd of December. So on that day, as I've said, we've set aside 12 hours of prayer from 6am to 6pm and we're inviting people to come at any point through the day and pray. Now that seems like a really dumb idea, doesn't it? Why? Because Christmas is a really busy time of year. There is heaps on. Who has time to pray? Exactly. It is a challenge, we know that but we think that this is really important because this is not about busy doing. This is not another church activity. Please do not think that this is a church activity that you have to go to, that you're obligated to go to. This is about sitting with Jesus and talking with him. This is about relational time with God and growing in that relational space of prayer together. You could see this actually as a beautiful piece of white space where you just come and sit and pray. You can use the hours of that day however you like. You don't have to join in activities. You could sit in silence and be with Jesus for an hour and create that white space to be with him, to worship him, to recognise his worth. The other reason that we've set that day aside is because Christmas is probably our best opportunity all year to share Jesus with others. Um, you will have lots of opportunities as you speak with family and friends about what's important to you. Our Christmas services here uh, are big and lots of people who don't worship Jesus will come and they will hear about him. And, you know, we're planning well for those services. We're writing talks and trying to do the best we possibly can. We want them to be engaging. We want them to be creative. We want them to be great services. But you know what? At the end of the day, People will not respond unless God opens their hearts, works by his Holy Spirit, softens them to realise the worth of Jesus and turn to him. And so the best thing that we can do as a church is to pray and to pray and to ask God to do just that. We want God to work by his Holy Spirit in us but we want God to work by his Holy Spirit in our community, in the lives of our family, our friends, the people that we, would, we love, so that he would open their eyes to see what the Magi saw. We want people to see the worth of Jesus, that he is worth it. He is exactly what we need. And just like the Magi, that they would realise that, that their eyes would be opened, that their hearts would be soft, and that actually they would, they would bow down and that they would worship Jesus. 
him. So let's pray now. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do uh, recognise that life is busy and challenging and uh, focusing on Jesus is hard. Uh, So we ask for your help. But we do want to affirm, we do want to say together that Jesus is worth it, that we recognise that Jesus is very God in human flesh, uh, come to live amongst us, come to save us, uh, and that he is the Lord who rules over all things. So we do want to worship him. Uh, We don't want him to be crowded out. We do want him to get his rightful place. So we pray that you would give us wisdom and insight, uh, that you would work by your Holy Spirit in us, uh, that we would be able to give him his due worship this Christmas season. And we do pray too for those who do not yet know Jesus as we do, that they would see his worth as we know it and that they too, like the Magi, would worship him and receive him into their lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.